Hebrews chapter 11, Hall of Fame of Faith. We're pulling our way through here tonight. Looks like we're going to look at verses 23 through 29. Hebrews 11, 23 through 29. Let's thank God for the word tonight. Amen. Aren't you glad to have the word? A blueprint for living, time of assurance when you need assurance or faith or comfort on any subject, the Word of God has got the answer. Whatever you're going through, the answer is in God's Word, amen? It's not on the daytime talk shows. It's not in the psychological section or the self-help section at your bookstore. It's in God's Word. We need to learn to go there first and get the answers from God's Word before we get a second opinion, amen? Father, we thank you tonight for Hebrews 11. We thank you for what we're about to study. We thank you for those who are in the Hall of Fame of Faith. The principles that landed them there uh, can teach us how to cultivate our faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please you, God. So we want to cultivate our faith because we want to be pleasing to you. So Holy Spirit, allow us to do just that as we look at the life of Moses tonight. Allow us to grab the gems and the jewels and the hidden treasures out of your word that are only available to those who seek you through relationship by the Holy Spirit. And we ask you that you would deposit those deep in us in Jesus' name. And the church said, Hebrews 11, uh, starting in verse 23, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Considering the reproach of Christ great riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, he kept Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroys the firstborn would not touch him. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. So we're gonna stop there because verse 30 talks about Jericho, but we're given these verses about Moses. Now, we're gonna just cover two of them tonight. 23, and I believe 24, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Verse 24, by faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So let's take a look at those verses here tonight. Moses is the next member of the Hall of Fame of Faith. We've covered many, and we've seen uh, some interesting things that God counted as faith. Many times we think, you know, these grand gestures or these these pivotal moments or these great uh, expressions of faith as, you know, we speak in a moment of trial. But sometimes God looks past all the fanfare and, the, and who notices, and he sees something that he just treasures as faith in us. 
when we respond, you know, when, when we don't have much, but we give anyway because we know he's our source. The widow's might, remember? Everybody was throwing in big numbers, but the widow came in and she just threw in a few cents. And Jesus is like, man, she, she gave. All the big shots were coming in, puffing themselves up, and look what I got, and, you know, loading, pouring it in, make sure it made a lot of noise. But that's not what God noticed. God notices things, simple acts of faith, and he counts them, uh, and he treasures them when he sees them in his children. So here's Moses, and, uh, you know, he makes it to the Hall of Fame. We're given seven verses that deal with Moses here in this chapter. That's quite a bit. And these things land him there. Now, there are five by faiths in those seven verses, by faith, by faith, by faith, five times. And these are, the, these are the areas where God is describing a certain act of faith. So we have five by faiths in seven verses about Moses. And now we're all familiar with Moses. Everybody knows who Moses is. Unsaved people know who Moses is. If you ask anybody on the street, I'd be shocked if you could find someone who doesn't know who Moses is. Now, I know him good. I've been preaching about him a long time. I call him Mo because we're tight like that. So we're going to look at all the things that Mo did that landed him in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Now, certainly we're familiar with him, and he was, you know, the deliverer of Egypt. In fact, you know, we're going to see his, his name suggest his destiny. But let's look at a few things here. Now, this is not everything about Moses. We couldn't possibly do that. Uh, but, you know, he's the first five books of the Scripture, all, all Moses, so... Let's just take a look at some of the highlights here. Number one, Moses was born in Egypt, and his parents were enslaved Hebrews. Now, that's interesting. He's in Egypt. Now, remember, when Joseph was in Egypt, he was second in command. Just some generations later, the Jews went from being esteemed and well taken care of to now being slaves. You ever feel like you've been in the wrong place at the wrong time? The, the Jews had to come. Remember, Jacob brought his family in to Egypt. Joseph saved them, saved the nation. But now they're no longer celebrated in Egypt. They are slaves in Egypt. And Moses is born to enslaved Hebrew parents. All the males at the time of Moses' birth were to be killed. And the excuse was population control. And we're going to look at that a little bit. But Pharaoh was alarmed at how blessed and how much the Jews were increasing. He looked at these Hebrews. He's like, they're going to overtake us. So what does he do? He says, I'm going I'm to cut them off. I'm going to take out all the male children. Now, when you're born in a time where they're killing your gender, uh, that's a precarious time to be born. Yet they didn't get Moses. We're going to look at that. Pharaoh's daughter found, quote unquote, Moses floating in the Nile in a basket. You know all this stuff. Come on, you've seen Charlton Heston, you know what I'm talking about. And she finds him, you know, obviously a God thing, and she plucks him out of the, uh, the water and she saves him for whatever reason. Obviously, God's moving on her heart, moving in the circumstance. Pharaoh's daughter plucks him out and then she pays Moses' mother to nurse the baby. So here's the parents, they give up the baby, they cast him on the water, they make a basket, coat it with pitch, and they float the little guy out there and they just put him in God's hands. And God rescues him, God gives him back to his mother to nurse, and she gets paid to do it. Come on, ladies, let me hear an amen. That's a pretty good deal. So Pharaoh's daughter plucks him out. Moses' mother gets him back to nurse him, to wean him, all of this good stuff, God's moving 
Moses' name in Hebrew is Moshe, and it can be translated deliverer. So we know he's a deliverer of the uh, Hebrew people, and uh, obviously he has a destiny. Moses grows up, he's growing up in Egypt, and he's in an elevated position, but he has some issues with self-control and his temper, and he kills an Egyptian. He sees an Egyptian abusing one of his countrymen. Somehow it was known to him that he was a Hebrew that was rescued, and he sees this taskmaster abusing one of the Hebrews, and he snaps, and he kills him, and he buries him in the sand. Obviously, this is a pivotal moment in Moses' life. You know, once you cross that line and you murder someone, I'm not saying kill. Killing is different than murder. Murder is the shedding of innocent blood. Was this guy innocent? Well, Moses, it wasn't his place to exact the death penalty on someone who was mistreating a servant. So, you know, he murders him. It's just not killing. It wasn't mutual combat. It wasn't self-defense. He's a murderer. And once you cross that line, there's no coming back from that. You know, can God forgive you? Absolutely. But still you're branded with that. And I think you're going to carry that every day of your life that you killed a life. You took a life that you weren't warranted to take. And, you know, he crosses that line. So that's a, that's a big moment in Moses's life. He flees Egypt, he goes out into the wilderness, and he learns to be a shepherd. You say, man, you go from this elevated status to being a shepherd, that's quite a downgrade. You see, anyone who's going to lead God's people needs to learn how to shepherd. You say, well, Moses had it all going on, now he's a lowly shepherd. To God, being a shepherd, caring for others and, and, and protecting and serving and nurturing, that's not lowly, that's the highest calling. Amen? So he's learning his highest calling here, fleeing from Egypt as a murderer, an outcast now, yet God is training him to lead his people. So Moses is out there doing his thing. He gets taken in to a family. Uh, things seem to be falling in place from him, although he seems to have missed his destiny in a lot of people's mind and probably even in his own. He has an encounter with God. God appears to him in a burning bush, amen? Anybody ever see a burning bush? Did it speak to you? Okay, just checking. This is a God moment for him, amen? This is a God encounter. It's a supernatural thing. No one can see God and live. Moses caught glimpses of God's glory just as train passed him, but he, he, he has an, an appearance of God in a burning bush to cloak the holiness of God, yet the, the Lord speaks to him through that, and that's another encounter. He has this life-changing moment with you know, him murdering someone and fleeing, and now he has a life-changing moment with God. How many realize no matter what you do in life, one moment with God changes everything? We should be looking for those moments. Moses was a prophet, and he had a serious speech impediment. He, in fact, needed Aaron to speak for him. Many scholars think that he stuttered very badly. We don't know exactly, but he had a, a harsh enough speech impediment that he tried to use it as an excuse why he couldn't serve God. You know, Moses is this guy out in the desert arguing with a bush, saying, I, I can't, you got the wrong guy, I can't, my speech, my this, my that, every excuse you could think of. So here's a guy that God calls to be a prophet, yet he, he can't speak well. What's a prophet? It's a mouthpiece of God. God, you picked the wrong guy. I'm not the right mouthpiece for anybody. I can't even speak for myself. Do you ever notice that God picks the unlikely candidate? 
I mean, you know, there's certainly people who are more qualified than Moses for the job, skilled orators, intelligent intellects that can express thoughts with articulation. No, he picks a guy that stutters. Just like he picks a woman who's barren to have Abraham have uh, descendants more numerous than the sands of the sea. God's got a way of picking unlikely candidates. He's got a way of picking the weak and foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Look around tonight. Weak and foolish. <laughs> you say, well, should we be ashamed of that? No. Because it's easier to be humble when you recognize you're weak and you're foolish. And God can use the humble, and he does. So Moses is the stuttering prophet. He was 80 years old by the time he led the Hebrews out of Egypt. Moses authored the first five books of the Bible called the Pentateuch. And so you're going to see him here in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. He is the author of those books. Moses was also a songwriter. He wrote the song of Moses after they crossed the Red Sea. So, you know, he was a one-hit wonder, but he wrote that song. And God told him to teach it to the people of Israel. Amen. And, and you know, I don't know if we still sing it right, but it's the song of Moses. So um, there, there is one of the things God brought through him. He's a, he's a prophet. He's a songwriter. He's this man who writes the first five books of the Bible. Um, Moses had character issues. He struggled with rage, and he had a bad temper. You see it as he led the people through the wilderness. Now, I, I, I got to say, those people could have made anybody upset. Amen? But still, Moses' rage and his, impulsive, uh, his impulsiveness to snap and get angry followed him. Even after that rage that allowed him to kill the Egyptian, he never quite conquered that character flaw, and it cost him to the point where he struck the rock in the wilderness, and God said, hey, you're never going to lead the people in now. I'm going to have Joshua do it. And Moses tried to argue the point with God, and God said, that's it. We're not talking about it anymore. Wow. Ouch, Right? It should sober us up a little bit. It says two things to us. Number one, you know what? We're not going to die with all our character issues solved. Did I disappoint anybody tonight? I thought I was going to stumble into heaven perfect, and Jesus was going to be like, wow. No, we're not going to die with all our issues solved. And I know that's something that maybe makes us sad or maybe makes us feel ashamed, but Jesus died for us, and it's his blood that makes us righteous not our perfect performance. It's not like God in heaven is waiting for one perfect performance and then I'll, I'll take you. No, we're going to die with our character issues, but they also can cost us some things too. I'm sure Moses wished he would have dealt with that anger and rage issue because it cost him leading the people into the promised land. He got the 40 laps in the desert and Joshua got to bring them in. So uh, some interesting things there. He struggled with his temper, yet there's another side of the coin. He was also very humble. God said, he, you know, he's the most humble man. He's this, my servant Moses, the humble guy. So you got one side of the coin, he's got anger and rage, and the other side is beautiful humility. See, it's possible for us to have imperfections and gifts as well. I want you to understand that. Do you have imperfections? So do I. Do you have gifts? So do I. The thing is for us to do our very best to let God deal with our imperfections and to use our gifts for his glory and not our own. So we learn a lot from Moses here just from these things. Um, Moses, 
led the Hebrews out of Egypt, but he wasn't allowed to bring them into the promised land. We, we mentioned that. Joshua led them in after 40 years in the wilderness. Moses lived 120 years, and God buried him so no one could make an altar of worship out of the place of his burial. God hid him and buried him, and no one has found his grave. That's in Deuteronomy 34, 5, and 6. God took care of Moses' burial after 120 years. An amazing life, an amazing man. Five first books of Scripture led the people out of Egypt, led them through the plagues, led them through the wilderness, and handed them off to Joshua, who finished the job. Now, Hebrews gives us five by faith. So I said we're only going to cover two tonight by the grace of God. But the first by faith is this in verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child. Say beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Say afraid. So the first by faith is centered around this, the faith of Moses' parents. Moses' parents had to exercise great faith just so he could survive his infancy. Think about that. If his parents were just like, oh, well, I'm not getting in trouble for this kid. Let's just hand him over. You know, they're going to do what they do with him. No, we're going to see that, that by faith, they would not allow Pharaoh's edict to destroy the life of their child. Now, Pharaoh had commanded all the Hebrews be killed. Listen to Exodus 1, 15 through 20. The king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives. Those are the ladies that delivered the babies. So he goes to the, the, the women who birthed the babies. He spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom, whose name was Shephar. I can't even say that. Let's call her S. And the other whose name was Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but they let the, they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them. So God was good to the midwives and the people multiplied and became very mighty. So here's the call is, you know, kill them all. They're killing some of them. Some of them, they're not. The midwives are stepping in. They fear God more than they fear Pharaoh. But Moses is born at this time where his very life was in danger the moment he was out of the womb. The excuse that Pharaoh had was population control. The Hebrews were getting too numerous, getting too strong, costing too much. But there was an even more demonic strategy behind it. Moses is what we call in theology a type of Christ. We talked about typology. You can list so many attributes and facts about Moses' life that line up with the attributes and facts of Christ. He is the Old Testament type of Jesus. So there's something demonic going on here in the fact that the devil's trying to snuff him out at birth. The truth is that the same demonic thing happened when Jesus was born. Herod tried to kill all the babies off so that he could kill the Christ because he was threatened by Jesus. Here again, was this Pharaoh's idea? Was this Herod's idea? No, there's something more diabolical behind it. In fact, if you look in the book of Revelation, it talks about the red dragon who perches in front of the woman who is giving birth so that he can devour the baby as soon as it's born. 
And that baby is Christ. And even in the eschatological period of the tribulation, you're going to see that same murderous appetite that the enemy has to snuff out the things of God. We see this with Moses. We see it with Jesus. It will be demonstrated again in the the book of Revelation as it unfolds during that period. It is a demonic thing to destroy life. That's why abortion is so wicked and so evil. That it's not just, oh, it's a sin, or it's just culture, or it's just population control, or it's just, you know, it's a wicked demonic thing. Why? Because it snuffs out the potential of a life that God wants to bring into the world. And it's demonic, and it's evil, and there's, there's no way to sugarcoat it and make it nice. So the male children were slaughtered in the New Testament when Jesus was born. The male children were slaughtered in Egypt when Moses was born. And his parents had to use faith just to keep him alive. Now, notice he was hidden for three months, and then he was, you know, brought out. Jesus was, uh, you know, down for three days and then resurrected. There again, showing some of the similarities in the typology here. Jesus delivered mankind from the bondage of sin. Moses would uh, deliver the people of God from Egypt, which is a type of sin. There's so much in here that, you know, you can discover, but I just want to give you a few things. Now, at face value, the reason for Moses' parents hiding him from Pharaoh is almost comical. Look what it says. Because they saw he was a beautiful child. Now, I know there's some people that think all babies are beautiful, but you're wrong. There's a whole episode on Seinfeld. Just go watch it. You'll figure it out. You know, but for his parents to say, well, he was a beautiful child. What if he was homely looking or he's born with a cone head or, you know, he, he it was blotchy or whatever. You know, if, you know, if he was a little yellow, you know how they get that Billy Rubin thing? Yeah, they get a little. You know, if he wasn't a beautiful child, they would have just handed him over. Well, what's being said here? And, you know, every, every parent thinks their child is beautiful, right? Come on, and some of us are wrong. Some of them come out and they're just, they're, you know, you got to call those things which be not as though they were. Yeah, they're beautiful. My grandfather used to say this all the time. His generation had an expression, you got a face only a mother could love. My grandpa used to say that all the time. And I, I remembered that, and I think, you know, Moses' mother looks, oh, he's a beautiful child. Now, there's got to be something more going on here than just blind paternal bias, because that's what that is. Every parent thinks their child's the best. They're wonderful. They're beautiful. That's great. It's good. It's paternal. It's the way God would have it. But God would not count that as faith, much less great faith or impressive faith or the type of faith. I mean, otherwise, every parent would be in the hall of fame of faith. What was really happening here is that Moses' parents knew by the Spirit of God that this child was a child of destiny, and they felt compelled by the Spirit of God to do whatever it takes to preserve his life. The devil was moving, snuffing out babies. God was moving on the hearts of the parents, preserve this child's life. He's a child of destiny. He's going to be a deliverer for your people. He said, how much did they know? I don't know, but they, they knew enough to know they had to do whatever it, it takes. So the second thing Moses' parents did for his benefit, and I realize Mo, this is being counted towards Moses, his heritage here, um, as an act of faith. The second thing they did is more easily recognizable to us as faith. Uh, the faith that they displayed was that how they dealt with the fear that came along with this edict that all the male child's children had to be killed. And 
It says here, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Think about that for a second. So, okay, beautiful child, we get it. It's not really that, you know, he was, you know, going to be on the cover of Baby Weekly. It was the fact that he was a child of promise, and by the Spirit, they got it. But then, you know, they had to defy Pharaoh's edict that all the male children be killed. And it says here that they were not afraid. Now, I want you to see the great faith involved here. I want to ask you a question. Should they have been afraid of the king's edict? Absolutely. Let me tell you something. It would be foolish not to be afraid of what Pharaoh had decreed. Pharaoh could have any slave, any midwife, any infant, anybody executed at any time without trial, without reason, just as a, at a whim. This is what tyranny looks like when one person can be judge, jury, and executioner. Be careful of tyranny. Be careful of be appeasing tyranny. There's a reason God has blessed us with freedom in this land so that we don't have tyrants decree things that everybody falls in line with when they're ungodly, when they're unbiblical, when they're unconstitutional. We have a duty to resist tyranny and not to be afraid of it. And Moses' parents had every reason to be afraid because to defy Pharaoh meant instant death. The threat was as real as it gets, yet they were not afraid. Why? The only plausible reason is that, once again, they trusted in their God more than they feared a man. And this is what we have to understand. We, the people of God, need to trust God more than we fear man. Now, we're supposed to respect authority. We're supposed to submit to authority when it's godly. When it's ungodly, we have a duty to resist it. Uh, understand something. We don't blanketly just, you know, bow the knee to all authority. Oh, well, the government says, I got to abort my baby. You're in China. You have too many kids. You got to abort it. You know, the, the, the law says, you know, this group of people has to sit in the back of the bus. I guess that's just the way it is. Sometimes we need to stand against wickedness. And Moses' parents were like, hey, we know the rule, but you know what? We're not afraid because why? Because they felt their God was bigger and they, they were convinced by the spirit of God that you know, their child was a child of destiny. So they trusted in God more than they feared man. And that's great faith. It's great faith that landed Moses in the hall of fame of faith. And it's the type of faith that God's people need to uh, you know, portray in the earth now by the way we live, by the way we talk, by the way we resist wickedness, by the way we embrace righteousness, we prove to the world whether or not we believe our God is bigger than the idols of this world. Boy, and we really need to step up our game on that, amen, and pray for churches that have bowed the knee and, and just, you know, allowed the enemy to shut them down and to shut their mouths and to, you know, keep them from preaching the truth of the gospel, Moses' parents, you know, they were in great peril for what they did. But the word says very clearly here that they were not afraid. There's times in all of our lives where we're going to have to choose to obey God rather than man, and we're going to have to choose to push through our fears and to trust God. Amen? Amen? The fear of man is a very real issue. All of us have faced it and will have to face it in our Christian walk. You know, I'll just give you one example right now in the earth, in the world around us. There are Christian leaders all throughout our country that are in fear because they're not allowed to open their churches now. 
And there's places in New York City that are still shut down. There's pastors in California who've been threatened with jail time, with criminal charges, with exorbitant fines. If they'll, you know, well, you got to stay close because we said so. Whether it's moral, whether it's righteous, whether it's constitutional, tyranny. And many of these guys have said, no, we're not closing down. And the Supreme Court has even said, you have no right to shut them down. We are ensured the free exercise of religion. What does that mean? It means the government can't dictate how we exercise our religion. It also means that they can't tax us because if you tax something, it's no longer free. I need to teach a civics class in here. They stopped teaching in school decades ago, and everybody in our nation is, they don't get it. And our freedoms are being stolen. Pastors are being threatened now. Some of them are standing up. Some of them are standing down. It's a real time of testing for the church of Jesus Christ. So Moses' parents weren't afraid. They trusted God. We shouldn't be afraid either. We should have the same response as Peter and the apostles had when they told him, you know, we, we were telling you not to preach in this name anymore, the name of Jesus. They said we must obey, obey God rather than man. And that's something that all of us must come to terms with. The second by faith, the last one we're going to cover tonight concerning Moses is detailed in Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. Let's just take a look at that again. It says here, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, so now it's no longer his parents' faith, they had passed it on to him. When he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. So Moses has grown up. His parents have passed him on faith. Here's the first act of Moses' faith that catches God's attention. According to the decree of Pharaoh, Moses should have been dead as a baby. Yet instead of dead and gone, he grows up as a prince in Egypt. How many would say that that's a miracle? I'm supposed to have nothing, but I have everything. I'm supposed to be in the lowliest place, in the grave, yet I have the best that earth has to offer. He went from an enslaved baby who should have been killed to a prince. You don't look excited. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And if you look at that, you would think, well, what did that afford Moses? All the best treatment, all the best education he got, all the best material provisions, wealth, food, clothing, prestige, all of that was given to a Hebrew slave who was elevated to a prince who should have been dead. This is a miracle. Now, many people would think, you know, you almost look at it and like, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Are you crazy? Are you crazy for choosing that? Think about it. You've got all this going for you. Most people would think that that's ungrateful. It's, qu it's quiet, but it's true. And most of you wouldn't turn it down. We'd be like, oh, I don't know. I need to pray about this. Right? Going from the prince in the palace back, back to the making bricks without straw, slavery. Ugh. Seems like a real hard choice. And yet, you know, here's Moses with this incredible blessing in his life and this in incredible uh, rise to prominence and, and all these benefits afforded to him, uh, you would think you would do whatever it would take not to lose that. Can we agree? Yeah. 
Moses didn't see it that way. How do we know? Because he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He refused to let his heart be seduced by uh, the, the, uh, all the glitz and the glam and the material wealth and the pleasures of Egypt. Egypt, remember, in Scripture is a type of sin. So really this is like Moses rejecting the, the sinfulness of the world and saying, I would rather identify with the people of God. There again, the typology speaks of Christ's sacrifice and Christ giving up uh, everything he had in heaven and coming down and making himself nothing and being born in a manger and dying on a cross. There, there's so many applications and similarities there. Moses didn't see his benefits here as a benefit. Now, he, what he did is he, he chooses to push that away and identify with the Hebrews. Now, that's going to seem foolish to the world, but that's exactly what every one of us Christians has to do to come to Christ. We've got to reject the world and its pleasure, and we've got to choose Christ. I'm going to talk about that a little bit more. I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but Moses rejects Egypt. He rejects being called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, and he chooses the enslaved people of Egypt to identify with. Uh, I'm sure his parents passed faith on to him. I'm sure he learned some of their cultures and customs. But realize this, at that time, Moses probably didn't have a very big knowledge of who God was. Remember, he's raised in Egypt with all their idols and all their magicians and all their demonic activity. He, you know, he probably learned a little from his parents, but he doesn't, this is Moses before the burning bush. Before God reveals himself, yet still he has enough faith and enough of the spirit of God in him to reject the sinfulness of Egypt and choose the righteousness of the people of God. It's an amazing thing here, and God looks at it, and he counts it as faith. Verse 25, it all boils down to the choice Moses made. He chose to suffer what? It says ill treatment. They're treating him bad with the Hebrew slaves over the temporary pleasures of sin. And this is the same choice. This is the choice that every New Testament Christian has to make. Will we choose the pleasures and treasures and comforts of this life and this world, or will we forfeit them for Christ for a better reward in eternity? Come on, did someone lie to you and tell you you could have both? Well, I'm going to have one foot in the world, and I'm going to have one foot in the kingdom. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to use drugs, and I'm going to drink, and I'm going to fool around sexually, and I'm going to be in the club, and I'm going to have a good time, but I'm going to come to church on Sunday. You're either in one kingdom or you're in the other. There's no straddling the fence. People who straddle the fence fall on the dark side. It's not how close we can live to the line. It's how close we can live to God. Will we lay down our lives with thankful hearts, rejecting the world and embracing Jesus? Will we forsake this world's attractions and distractions for the kingdom of God? Will we foolishly choose to play now and pay later or to pay now and play later? I choose eternity, amen? amen. It's a better deal. I hope we can appreciate the choice that Moses made here. Ill treatment bondage, slavery, but the real bondage was in sin, and he rejected that, and he, and he chose to go follow God's route anyhow. Now, Luke 6.21 says this, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. There's some things that we suffer. There's some persecutions we endure. There's some things we go through in this life. 
How many can just agree it's been a hard year? Amen? But listen, I've said this once before, but to the Christian, this world is the only hell we'll ever know. But to the unsaved, this world is the only heaven they'll ever know. Wow. It's hard. We're going through stuff. It, it costs. It, 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 you know, we feel like we're missing out. We, we think it looks fun. But the thing is, either we, put, we play now or pay later, or we, we pay now and enjoy the presence of God for eternity. It's a real simple choice when you think it through. Verse 26 gets a little bit interesting, and I'm closing with this verse, I promise. Verse 26 talks about the reproach of Christ. It says, considering the reproach of Christ, Moses, Moses considering Christ, Jesus hadn't even been born yet. Think about this. Considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Remember I said in the Old Testament, they always look forward to the cross, looking forward to Jesus, looking forward to redemption. And so here he is looking forward to the reward, and it says something pretty interesting here, that Moses was willing to suffer the reproach of Christ. What was the reproach of Christ? Being estranged from his father, being estranged from his people, being out of step with the world, the, the reproach that, that everybody had an issue with Jesus. Long before Jesus was ever born, before he ever suffered reproach, before he ever suffered the rejection from his own and, and died at the hands of sinful men, M Moses looked forward to that and cho chose the same path as Christ. He chose the same path as Christ. And that's why he's a type of Christ. He was the, he was the human Old Testament symbol, the type and shadow of what was to come. Of course, Jesus would far eclipse him in everything he did and in the meaning of what he did, but Moses is showing us here, you've got to reject the world. You've got to be out of step with it. You've got to reject sin. You've got to choose the kingdom of God over the kingdom of this world. And he endures the reproach of Christ. It means Moses, like Jesus, rejected the kingdom of the world, and so must we. The temporary comforts that are dangled before us here are nothing compared to the eternal rewards that await us. And we should be happy. In fact, let's give God a hand clap of praise because of that. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I hope we can appreciate how hard a choice this was to go from a prince to a slave. I hope we can see how few in our world would be willing to make that choice. I hope as believers we're wise enough see how this applies to us and adjust the trajectory of our lives accordingly. If we're in the world and, in the, and trying to stay in the kingdom, we would reject the darkness and run to the light. That we choose righteousness over wickedness, holiness over sin. It's what impressed God about Moses' faith. We covered what his parents did. We covered his first act of faith. God willing, the next time we meet, we'll cover the other three. But let's bow our heads tonight. Father, we just thank you tonight for the Hall of Fame of Faith. We thank you for this man, Moses, who is a type of Christ who revealed the character and nature of the Holy One to come. As just a type, as just a shadow. And Father, we see the great exploits that Moses did, the faith, the, the, the miracles, the parting of the Red Sea, the, the 40 years in the wilderness, the water out of rocks and manna from heaven. God, and we just say, let us be a people of faith. In the New Testament, Jesus said to us, greater things than you shall do than this. Father, prepare our hearts and our character for greater things. 
that signs, wonders, and miracles would follow your people and they would attract the lost to the goodness and the, the blessedness of having a relationship with Jesus. We ask that in Jesus' name and the church said, Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise one more time.